everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable, Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller, and of course, here with my dear friend and fellow Regional Master Instructor, Miss Wendy Batts. Wendy, how are you doing today? I am so good, Marty. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. Looking forward to today. You know, this kind of, as we were throwing around topics, we were going through the conversations that were happening on the NASM CPT Facebook page, and this was kind of one of those ideas that originated from a couple of those conversations. Yes, and I'm excited to talk about it. I know today's going to be more of a high-level overview, and I think, you know, based on what we're seeing and the questions that we're getting, we may end up, just FYI, doing some future uh, webinars on each one of these more specifically, because I think they, when you're training, it's important to have a really clear understanding of what each subsystem does, because it, you know, when you're training different muscles and training, doing different exercises, it does affect different subsystems of your body. Yeah, and I think this really is going to go into human movement science versus potentially gym science mm -hmm. and really help people understand why NASM built the model the way it did, why it attacks different strategies the way it does. And again, really gets into what we're trying to accomplish is getting people to move well and looking at how the whole body works together and how to tie these subsystems together or when there's a dysfunction, even a very small dysfunction in part of that subsystem what can then go wrong with the rest of their human movement or parts of their human movement. Now, again, we're going to talk about the science and get into the weeds a little bit, but we still want to go out into the gym floor and make these things fun. But once in a while, we need to kind of go back to the fundamentals of human movement, which the science is the science. Exactly. And I mean, just because there is a lot of content, a lot of information, we are just going to dive right into the first one. So let's look at if we look at our slideshow, we're going to talk about the deep longitudinal um, subsystem first. And so when we talk about the DLS, we want to think about the major soft tissue contributors when we're talking about this one particular subsystem. So the muscles and the areas involved mainly are gonna be your erector spinae. You of course have your thoracolumbar fascia. We've got the sacrotubrious ligament. We've got the bicep femoris, the tibius anterior. And then I still call it the pronus longus because I'm old school. But if you look in the new text, the fibularis and longus obviously are gonna be the areas that we're talking mainly of and how these in combination like actually are working together, especially when we're thinking about from the trunk to the ground. So Marty, if we go actually to the next slide, you know, you can kind of break it up even further because I mean, this is a lot of information that we're covering. And so you want to, you know. Yeah. And, and when we go through this, don't think that you have to like really uh, be able to talk all of this to your clients. And this is to me, you know, a great way to kind of assess where you're at with your anatomy. And, you know, Wendy and I and a lot of everybody, our other great instructors at NASM are always about filling in and kind of building you to be more competent in the anatomy if this isn't where it, it, your maybe first educational path came from. Because it is important to know these things. But really what we're looking at is how does the body react in space? How does the body react against gravity? And how do these things play nice together? So when you look at the deep longitudinal system, this is very common for people to train indirectly. They don't know that they're really training the deep longitudinal system. You see a lot of people doing jumps and plyos and things like that. So this is really going to be one of the subsystems that's going to be very important to how does the body react using ground force reaction to produce force or how does it reduce force if we're doing any of those types of jumps. And again, it's, it's more complicated than the average person would want to give it credit to. But if you follow the model, if you follow how we get people to move better, 
you're training this without even necessarily knowing training this. So that's why I love the beauty of how the model's built. But, you know, let's go back to our movement assessments. We know a lot of people's feet turn out. And one of the muscles, not the only, that can cause that is the long head of the bicep femoris. It creates that external rotation. So we know that there's going to be movement dysfunction. So as we go through this here, and you'll see in the slide, we kind of layer it, that the long head of the bicep femoris, femoris, excuse me, attaches to the sacral tuba's ligament at the ischium. And all that really means is when the short of the bicep femoris blends into the hamstring complex, and when the hamstring complex goes back to where it originates, it originates on the ischium through a ligament. So that's just showing you that if you're affecting the bicep femoris and the bicep femoris short head, and you see here the long head, that you're going to have issue with your sacrum. So that's all we're really saying is that we look at the way the body is positioned and we go through how it connects up into the kinetic chain. And that's why Wendy's so passionate about her five kinetic chain checkpoints. <laughs> right, Wendy? It, absolutely. Absolutely. So if there's dysfunction, this is why sometimes people have low back pain because, yeah. yeah, we're addressing the muscle, whether it's the short head or the long head of the bicep femoris. But if there's improper movement patterns there, you're affecting something from the ground all the way up to your low back. And then also coming from low back, the erector spinae, those muscles in your low back that get ten tender or tight when you're sitting or squatting and jumping, that again has play on the lumbar spine. So we put more of the true anatomical uh, worded in here, and you'll see that and how we describe that, that the sacrotuberous ligament also uh, attaches to the sacrum and then the erector spinae attached to the sacrum and ilium up all the way now to the ribs and the cervical spine. So we're starting low and you'll see how it affects the kinetic chain all the way up through your cervical spine. So, okay, why does this matter? Well, when you activate the bicep femoris and increase that tension in the sacral tuberous ligament, it transmits force across the sacrum, which is the lowest part of your lumbar spine. It can help stabilize the SI joint, which is that part of your low back on either side where a lot of people touch and they have pain, and then up through the trunk, through the erector spinae. So that's how, again, we're using the ground, generating force all the way up. And these are the areas that that force is transmitted through. So that's really all we're trying to talk about here is that don't look at a muscle or a movement in isolation. It does definitely affect the entire kinetic chain. Yeah, and I think it's important because when we talk about the sacrum and you're looking at, you know, different parts of the body, especially like being a manual therapist, as you move, that should also like rotate. And you're going to notice as you go forward, it should tilt back as you rotate to one side, the areas of, of your pelvis should move. And unfortunately, when like Marty was saying, if there's dysfunction or you've got overactivity and or even underactivity, sometimes it can lock some of those areas down. So you're getting more movement through areas that were supposed to be more stabilized than movement areas. So when you think about it, we're talking about the spine, your thoracic spine should actually move your cervical and your lumbar should be more stable. And unfortunately, we have to start relying more of our lumbar spine to move, which that's not really what it was intended to do because things aren't functioning correctly. And that actually kind of brings us to the next slide. You know, we, Marty, I think simplifies it so well. And I'm so glad that he's doing this webinar with me because again, you know, I'm looking at it and I'm like, wow, that was beautifully put. But, you know, when I think about it, it's like, well, what are the ways to activate this system, the subsystem specifically? And these are pretty much some of the ones that are our favorite. 
Um, of course, the bird dog, or some people call opposite arm, opposite leg. I mean, again, you've got to think, you know, contralaterally we're working. So they're going to be drawing in. They're going to have very, you know, um, good core activation by drawing in, squeezing the glutes. And then they're going to do that. They're going to do the single leg Romanian deadlift. So we put SLS because, you know, that was a, a typo, but we're going to say single legs Romanian deadlift. You love them gonna, that much. You just I know. I just, it. yes. And then of course, as Marty said, you know, we're, we're adding jumping. We're learning how to decelerate and how to land properly. So the hop to stabilization. And then of course the front lunge to reach. And so these are just some of the ones that we use. Obviously, there's multiple that you can do. Some people call them different things. But I know in my programming, when I'm really like focusing on trying to get really good activation, these are usually my go-tos. Right. And the key thing, again, make it fun, make it enjoyable. But really, we always want to stick back to human movement science because we're teaching the body how to properly move, how to interact in space, how to fight gravity properly, how to use the ground to produce force and reduce force. So that way, any fitness goal they want is achievable to obviously to some level, each person's uh, different. But think about this bird dog right there. If they can't do that with ideal control and just stick that and own it, think about some of these other exercises that would challenge the deep longitudinal system standing up against gravity or loaded they don't have the right to do that yet. Doesn't mean you won't get them there quickly, but this is why we love progressions and regressions and the way the model's built, because even if you don't fully understand these subsystems yet, you're training them if you're following them up. And Maria, I love your comments. And Maria yes. made a comment when I'm sweeping the floor with the broom, I imagine these muscles activating. So yes, indeed. But let's right. talk about the gait because Marty, I mean, I think it's important, you know, we, we walk. And so when we look at the next slide, you know, we're talking about what's happening actually during the, you know, when we're walking and, and the movement pattern itself during normal gait. So when you think about before heel strike, as Marty was talking about the bicep femoris, it's going to activate to eccentrically decelerate hip flexion and knee extension. And at the same time, the anterior tip activates concentrically to dorsiflect and invert the ankle and the foot. And then of course, after heel strike, you've got the anterior tip eccentrically decelerating the lower um, to the lower of the foot as the bicep femoris is further loaded through the, the lower leg via the posterior movement of the fibula. So that is a lot to think about. And that's why we say, you know, we don't just move one muscle, we move them all. And so that's why we want to train them all. And we look at everything in a movement assessment, not just statically. Yep. And for those of you just joining us, we're talking about the four subsystems, human movement, but we're talking about how human movement is divided into four major subsystems and how that interaction is from the ground up. And you'll see that we're going to get into a couple other ones here. So we, yes, we train movements. We will talk to our clients in isolated muscles and function, but professional, professional, we know that we're trying to tie those individual movement patterns into this global movement pattern, which is the deep longitudinal muscle, uh, longitudinal system, or these other ones we talk about. But again, going back to why it's so important to start with stabilization training, you'll see here the word decelerate multiple times. If you're not going through that phase and getting that longer eccentric, and you're going right through to a strength or power phase, and you haven't prepped this system for its the role in deceleration, you've skipped a massive step. And this is why athletes get injured or people are like, yeah, I tried to do and then fill in the blank with a high intensity class and something went wrong because their subsystem wasn't primed for its complete job, right? It has to accelerate, but it has to be able to decelerate and stabilize things 
properly as well. So that's why we thought that this would be a great topic. Yes. And I think that's also too important to note why we are so particular about the foot externally rotating. Cause I mean, that right there is a, like a catch catch all. When you see someone doing that, then, you know, obviously this subsystem is going to be effective. And so it's going to be very important to make sure that you're foam rolling the right things, that you're stretching the right things, and then activating obviously the, the length and muscles in order to fix that one compensation. Because as we've talked about, and you're going to hear us say throughout this webinar, if something is affected at the lower foot, it can affect especially the, you know, contralateral or opposite shoulder. You can actually blow out a shoulder by having lack of range of motion in the ankle. And so it really does all play together. And so and it happened. It, yeah, me too, unfortunately. That's why I brought that up. So let's go to the next slide here and let's talk about the posterior oblique system. So this is one that I train very often, um, you know, and, you know, when you think about it, it does work synergistically with the, the deep longitudinal system that we just talked about. So when you're thinking about the glute max and the lat, they have attachments through the, the thoracolumbar fascia, which connects to the sacrum, which Marty was talking about. And those run perpendicular to the SI joint. And so when the contralateral gluteus maximus and the lat um, contract, it's going to stabilize that force at that joint. So you want to think when, you know, like I and Marty and I are both really big fans of doing like a cable squat to row. And I like to do the single leg squat to row, but I usually will have a client stand on a right foot and the cable would be in their left hand. So they're doing opposite arm, opposite leg, contracting the glutes, working on, you know, working on the lat on the opposing side, because we're making sure too, that we've got really good stability within the hips. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And like an example I give sometimes is I'm a right hand dominant person. I played all my sports were kind of unilateral. I did switch to lacrosse in college and that confused me because you would use left and right. It was, I wish I would have done that earlier because it really, I can see how I became very pattern dominant, pattern overloaded with being a right-handed hitter, right-handed thrower. If you ask me right now, still at this age, and as much as I've worked to balance myself out, if you said, Marty, do a single leg balance exercise, the first thing I'm going to do is stand on my left leg. Because think about if I'm going to produce force with my right arm, I need the left leg stuck to the ground to be able to contralaterally produce that force. When you shift me to my right leg, even though I've worked on it, it's not quite the same because for 20 years before I learned this stuff, I was dominant with my left leg, my right arm, and that's just the way the body works. So that's why it's so important to be able to do bilateral, switch it up because you will find one side more dominant than the other, depending on the sport, the activities that you tend mm -hmm. to do. So to me, that's a great example of if you've ever done something traditionally sports related, I would jump off my le left leg. I would push off my left so I can use my right limb. And that's just because this is a perfect example how it works cross. Well, and I think it's important too. if we're not even talking about sports, think about just how you walk. You walk opposite arm, opposite leg. So I'm left handed. So if I drop something on the floor and I go to pick it up and I do kind of like a forward lunge. I'm going to pick it up with my left hand. So that means I'm usually producing or accepting force and weight onto my right foot while I'm going down to grab something and standing up. So I'm the same way, Marty, and it, and it wasn't even due to sports, but I think it's just life. And so you're going to find that very common where if somebody is really stable on the opposite leg, then you can usually say, hey, are you right handed or hey, are you right. left handed? And they're like, well, how did you know? We just met, you know, and so um you know, it kind of freaks them out. So I do that very often and just act like I'm smart, but I just notice that they can balance better on usually their opposite leg. Exactly. So 
Yeah, not always. Definitely not always, but no, because there could be an injury of a sprained ankle, right. dislocate, right? But the body—that's a natural reaction, right? That the body is going to search the path of least resistance. So if I have to produce force here, it knows to stabilize and use the ground on the other side. It just the body knows that. Body knows. <laughs> so let's go to the next slide. And so when we start looking at it a little bit now, again, when we're talking about the gate, so, you know, we talked about it, obviously, when we we're talking about the DLS, now we're looking at the POS. So the posterior oblique system, just before heel strike, you're going to think that your lat and the contralateral. So opposite side glute max are eccentrically loaded. Remember we move that way. So which is going to add pretension to the entire subsystem before you even accept weight onto that. So then at, at heel strike, each muscle is going to accelerate its respective limb through the concentric action. And that's going to create tension across the thoracolumbar fascia. And so when you're thinking about that again, here comes the SI joint. So we can see why when we talk about the lumbopelvic hip complex, it's always affected. And that's why we spend so much time, especially in phase one, drawing in and working on intervertebral stability is because it is very important that we properly get the right muscles to activate at the right time before we start adding that movement through the spine. And so you want to think too, that, you know, when we're talking a lot about the posterior oblique system, you know, we're talking a lot about the muscles that are we're, we're doing in the transverse plane. And again, if you look at research and you've listened to Marty and I for the last couple of years, you're going to know that more injuries occur while you're decelerating in the transverse plane. And so again, it's very important to think about training the posterior oblique subsystem and why. And then at that point too, you know, make sure that you're choosing the right exercises. Absolutely. And that's why a full well-rounded program will address all the subsystems through all phases of training. And, you know, maybe, you know, Wendy and I already kind of talked about it. Hey, I think we're going to get some good feedback on this and what could we do with some of this information later? And maybe we can talk about what anterior oblique subsystem and the lateral subsystem looks like during different phases of training. But that's why the model is so complete because it really works on these movement patterning going through different phases of stability, strength, and power through the different subsystems. And remember, one of the biggest fundamental movement patterns that we teach is walking. It's looking at the gait. And so, you know, this is a pattern of life. And so I know Maria said that, you know, she took a class in college on walking. And it's very important because your propulsion, the way that you accept force, the way that you trans, you know, you transfer weight and, you know, throughout the entire swing gait and as well as when you're pushing off. I mean, all of it is, is uh, it plays a big role in how we move. No doubt. Absolutely. And again, if you're moving better, walking better, then eventually the higher level fitness goals are easier to obtain with less issue. Yes. And you're going to feel better. You're going to move better, perform better, feel, feel better. better. Exactly. So, um, you know, again, when we're looking at this, why is it important? I mean, especially when you're thinking about the rotational activities. So if you're working with golfers, you're working with, you know, pitchers or people that are playing baseball and they're at bat, um, you know, anything against soccer players, I mean, anything, um, that requires, you know, movement, especially when you're doing rotational um, activity. So you even said lacrosse. I mean, dysfunction in any of these areas can lead to SI, you know, um, instability and again, low back pain. So we just already covered why. And you think about the weakening of the glute max. I mean, you know, the, the lats or both, it's going to lead to more attention to the hamstring complex. And then that's going to lead to more reoccurring hamstring strains that we've seen multiple times 
And I mean, a lot of it too, you can identify in the very beginning, in the very beginning by looking at the lumbopelvic hip complex during the overhead squat assessment. And Wendy, you know that that hamstring is just, it brings back chills down my spine. And <laughs> we won't get into the why right now, but you know, mm -hmm. there's always this theory of the hamstring gets injured because they didn't warm up enough or they're too tight. And it's like, no, there's human movement is more complicated than that because it's a system, right? Mm -hmm. It's not one muscle just decided to fail. It's other sequences of things and the system wasn't working well. And then a muscle was the trigger and it ended up happening. But, you know, this is where, whether you're the recreational athlete, whether you're the professional athlete, you've got to have these subsystems working optimally so you can prevent some of those common injuries. And that's why today we're talking about our human movement, our four subsystems, because we really want to take people and our great personal trainers here with the NASM family and get them to understand how we really built this and why we talk about the subsystems and why we have the model built the way it is. So these can be addressed. And then again, when we, I'll give you a hint, when we talk about integration techniques, guess what we're really trying to target is those subsystems after we got the body through a progressive targeted, potentially warm up, depending on if you're using the CES or not. And I think it's important to note too, that just because it feels tight right. does not mean that it is tight or it is overactive because what we may be feeling is a lengthened muscle that's being pulled from end to end. And when you bend over and you're lengthening even more, it, you, know, you can feel like you're plucking it. I'm talking about like the, the hamstrings there's a difference. It feels like it's tight, but it's already in a lengthened or taut position. The last thing you want to do is stretch that because it can lead to these increased strains and stresses and tears even. And that's why, you know, we're so passionate about this. And we talk so much about the, um, the assessment process because easily identified, but we just need to make sure that we are identifying these before we start, you know, stretching or doing any kind of activation to realign the body correctly. Couldn't agree more. So moving on. So, <laughs> so oh, last one, yeah, one of the last slides about the, the POS, I think it's important to think that, you know, we, we don't, you can train in isolation and we're not saying don't do that because I mean, obviously if you're doing squats, you know, you're not only just going to be doing the squats for the glutes, you're also going to be using your quads, right? So we're doing quads and glutes. Those are the prime movers. And the same thing when you're doing pull downs for the lats, you're going to be using you know, your lats to pull like a bar down if you're doing like a straight arm pull down. And so when you think about that, you know, that's not going to prepare the body to move together when you're talking about the system. So you want to think that you're combining the lat and the glutes, especially contralaterally, if you really want to focus on the POS or the posterior oblique subsystem. And so that's when I said the squat to row is one of my, my favorites, especially during the subsystem. That's the reason for it, because it really will activate the POS that way. Yeah. And I love, you know, even if I'm in a power phase or whatever phase, you will always see me warm up with some of these uh, movement patterns in that stabilization type of tempos, because one, you know, I don't want to get away from stabilization for too long, but it really helps kind of get my neurological system to be ready to go to those higher demands. So that's where, you know, we've talked about this before, how you can really start to hybrid some of these phases together. You don't have to be just in stabilization, just in strength, endurance, or power, as long as you earn the right to get there. But I will always start with some of this before I would do any type of power work for me, myself. Absolutely. And if you guys are just joining us, I'm Wendy Batts here with Marty Miller. And today we're talking about the four subsystems. So far, we've talked about the deep longitudinal subsystems. We've just covered the posterior oblique subsystem. 
And next, we're going into the anterior oblique system. So you can't just focus on the back, even though that's one of my favorites. We're now going to move forward. So if we go to the next slide, we're going to now bring in the, um, the what we're calling the AOS, so anterior oblique subsystem. And when you're doing that, you're going to think that the, this functions again in the transverse plane orientation, and it's mostly the anterior portion of the body. So when you're looking at the prime contributors, we're looking really at the internal and external oblique muscles your adductor complex, as well as the hip external rotators. And so looking at, you know, EMG activity, those muscles show that they aid in pelvic stability and rotation. It's going to contribute into your leg swing. And ready for this, Marty? It's going to help stabilize your SI joint. <laughs> wow. I, what do you know? It's almost like, you know, follow the assessments that we talk about at the end of every other master's director roundtable, right? And that, the model's your friend. I see a pattern here. Yes, I do too. And, and before we move forward, Maria had a question. Um, in your experiences, does injuries make people lazy and unmotivated to exercise thoroughly? Like when they are supposed to exercise every or every other days at least. Gotcha. Well, I'll take a first stab at this. So I, I'm not going to talk about everybody, right? I can talk about from experience and then what I've seen with some um, research or experts. It could make people lazy, but sometimes I think underneath that lady laziness could be depression or fear or anger, because depending on the person's situation, right, they might have been targeting some type of athletic event, whether they're a professional athlete or just someone who wanted to go run, fill in the blank, or they were working really hard towards a goal uh, to lose X amount of pounds by such and such event, and then something happens. So sometimes I see, quote unquote, the laziness is because of fear of re-injury, um, maybe they've had bad experiences before, maybe it's a reoccurrence of an injury, or there's just some level of depression. So yeah, there could be laziness in, as well as that too. And then I also see people like, man, this is going to really not be fun working through this again. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, working with athletes, sometimes I see where it motivates them to come back even stronger at some point. So that's from my personal experience. But to me, I would see that maybe there's something underlying that not willing to get back in the gym. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to follow you. I mean, again, you know, I began my career working with professional baseball pitchers. And so, you know, Tommy John was a big, um, you know, a big factor, unfortunately, that we had to rehab. And, you know, I think it was more of uh, they didn't show up on time. They, they, you know, they just weren't feeling it. But a lot of what Marty said, it was the fear of that they were going to re-injure it again. And, you know, when they go through that surgery, it's actually that ligament is actually stronger than it ever was before they even, you know, had any injuries to start with. And so I think it's, it's a mental thing. Um, oftentimes, I think with some of the uh, professional athletes, with your everyday clients and stuff, to Marty's point, a lot of it too, if they have an injury, they're scared of re-injury, or maybe it's not healed enough, and they're trying to push through pain, and it's actually causing more discomfort. And then, you know, they're sore from working muscles. They haven't worked in a while, but then there's more discomfort too, because maybe that injury is not healed enough and they're putting too much, they don't know the corrective side of the game. So they're doing, you know, pounding exercises and leg press and stuff like that, if it's a knee injury and, and that's not the time or place. So, you know, maybe needs more VMO activation versus, you know, squats. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I'm just throwing it out there. That's a really hard question because I hate to say it. The answer is it depends. Very good. Very good. All right. So now let's go ahead and go to the next um, slide. So again, when we're talking about normal gait, 
We're thinking that the pelvis rotates in the transverse plane that's going to create that swinging motion for the legs. So now we're thinking about the, the um, posterior oblique subsystem as well as the AOS, so the anterior oblique subsystem, and they both contribute to this rotation. So that's why it's important to understand your anatomy, how the muscle fibers arrange with one another, and then emphasize the points of where in contact and then what is it that they're doing and when do they actually come into play. And so it's very important, especially during the AOS, it's going to be necessary for your functional activities, especially when you're looking at the trunk and upper and lower extremities. So basically the entire body. So I look at it as the front side of your body. We just talked about the back end. Now let's talk about the front and we need them both to play nicely together. <laughs> We're one body. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's not just one or the other. They're working almost opposite of each other simultaneously, right? Yes. Yes. So if we go to the next slide and we dig in a little bit deeper. So here we're going to think about, you know, working the actual, these are just some of the exercises that we, we chose, but when you're thinking about the obliques, you know, they in concert are going to work with your adductor complex, not only to produce the rotational inflection movements, but they're instrumental in stabilizing, ready for this, the lumbopelvic hip complex. Sure. And I know, right? So, so these are some of the exercises, um, you know, Marty, that, that I use. And I think you have mentioned that you also do when we're focusing in the subsystem and it's your supine oblique crunch while reaching the hand to touch the flex knee. You know, so, you know, or the contralateral flex knee, I should say. So, again, you've got to think about it being flexed and adducted at the hip. Um, isometric debugs, I do those all the time. And so just to guys, show you guys, that's basically what you see in the picture, because I know that's not one that people, that we don't necessarily call them isometric debugs, I don't think. That's what I call them. I don't know if you call them that. Yep. And then I, for you, Marty, cross body kicking motion while using the yep. contralateral arm. <laughs> so Martial yeah. arts, like... Like that's not right technique, right? But yes. I love like using the heavy bag and things like that. Again, to work on what I like to do is burn off some energy kicking things, but I truly do break it down to the science on, yes, I'm working this, you know, balance on one leg, counter rotation. It's fabulous for that type of stuff. Yes. It's fabulous. You, get out, you get out some anger. Who doesn't want to hit something? Oh, well, you know, I... I'm not, gonna I'm not going to disagree with you guys. And, and if you're just joining us, Marty Miller and I are talking about the four subsystems. And so far, when you're looking at a recap of what we've discussed so far, we've talked about the deep longitudinal subsystem. We've talked about the um, posterior oblique subsystem, anterior oblique subsystem. And now we're getting into the last one we're going to discuss today, which is the lateral subsystem. And so, again, when you're looking at the muscles that it's um, composed of, we're talking specifically about the glute medius, your TFL, your adductors, your QL. And, of course, all of these are going to participate in your frontal plane. So now we're thinking about moving side to side and the pelvic femoral stability within your hips. And don't you, like when we talk about this in the workshops, don't you have some kind of crazy dance or something? You talk I do. <laughs> That's why I was, I don't know if you noticed, but I was swinging away. <laughs> I mean, man, we haven't taught together enough that I was like, I know what she's doing. I know. It's pretty sad, y'all. <laughs> What's that? It's pretty sad. <laughs> and but you know what? Memorable. You've got to, you've got to attend a workshop. It's in order clearly to memorable, it. right? I'm, I'm like, oh, I know what she's going to say or do next. Uh, but <laughs> The key thing is we want to control the, that motion. Obviously, we want motion in the frontal plane, but we don't want excessive motion. And that's really what this comes down to is, can your pelvis control that frontal plane movement 
And obviously there's going to be some transverse plane activation as well, but, you know, just kind of going through the word lateral is, can I move side to side and have my joints aligned and stable where they need to be as I change my center of gravity from left to right. And a lot of our clients every day don't move in that direction as much depending on what they do. And all of a sudden they come into the gym and they try to load that lateral subsystem and they get, I'm going to use the word sloppy and yeah, they're doing it like the tube walking and things like that, but they're not dialed in to really get all of what you see here working as a concert. So that way everything's doing what they need to do when they need to do it with the right amount of force. So the execution is ideal. And those five kinetic chain checkpoints are in line at all times. Yes. And, you know, if you really want to freak out your clients and you want to like, you know, drop a bomb because they come in and they think they know everything they've been on Google and they have, this is the reason why this hurts or this isn't activated. I'm going to have Marty and literally, and Marty, I'm putting you on the spot because oh, I know no. I could do this and you and I rattle this off super quick. If somebody is sitting there and they think that they know why their glutes may not firing, you know, be firing correctly, usually they say because they're sitting on like their tush all day. Yes, that could have something to do with it. But if you are a, a professional and you see someone doing an overhead squat and you notice right away that they have got external rotation of the foot, they have excessive pronation. Can you tell us quickly why that would decrease stability and control of your lumbopelvic hip complex? Sure. So you're talking so, to a trainer, not your client. So yeah, so everything's connected, like we talked about. Uh, you, everybody here knows that. So when I externally rotate my foot, that's going to change the length tension relationship of the musculature above it. So when I have external rotation of my foot, most times it's also going to change the way my femur is sitting. Right. So let's let's make some assumptions here. So if my foot's externally rotated, as with my feet on two with two feet, not just single leg. I'm going to have possible external rotation of my femur, which then means what muscles attached to my femur? Well, the glute complex. So if they're externally rotated, they are then in a shortened position. They're not in their ideal or, or alignment. So think of all the muscle fibers, right? If they're in alignment, they're going to have their best ability to contract and be strong or stable or powerful, right? But I'm just going to use the word strengthen or strong. But if I externally rotate them, I've shortened them. So if I've shortened them, I've changed the length tension relationship of the glute complex, which means I've put it in a weakened state. It's not as ideally strong as if it would be in that neutral position. And that's coming from the foot and ankle. So whether I load it, whether I jump, whether I run, you name it, I'm in a weakened position. So now I have different joint arthrokinematics. That means the way the joints are lined up, they're going to take stress probably more aggressively because the muscles can't fire appropriately to reduce or produce that force. And then the stress goes somewhere else. It could go to the soft tissue. It could go to other muscles in that where the body's going to look, Hey, if I'm not strong enough, let me grab the hamstring muscle. Let me grab the erector spinae. Let me grab the TFL to try to help out. So you're strengthening those now, or it could go to other ligaments and tendons or discs so it's just not a good way to produce reduce force. So hopefully I helped cover that. That's what you were looking for. I, you know what, this guys, I'm telling you, like, I love this stuff. Like, I'm like, oh yes, yes, that's it. That's it. Like I'm sitting here, like with this huge grin on my face in the background. Cause I'm like, I just love it. Cause then at that point you just want to do like a mic drop. Like there you and, go. And, and here's the thing, Wendy, there's even more to it. Like Think about oh, yeah. what's happening at the foot and ankle, right? If I need to be able to produce force, yes, there's going to be some natural pronation but if there's excessive pronation, now I'm wasting time on the ground. And now all that energy is going somewhere else. So I kind of think of it like a garden hose. If mm -hmm. I used to torture my kids running around the yard, spraying them, right? If I want to really hit them, 
I want all that force coming out. Um, don't call child services. My kids are plenty old and they enjoyed it. I'm just saying. They're sorry for life, y'all. <laughs> I love my kids. But if I want to, you know, if I want power coming out of that hose, I don't want any holes in the garden hose, right? Because that would be a leak of energy. So that's how I look at the body is if there's any functional uh, or dysfunction, I might still be able to move and I might be able to do really impressive things. But imagine if all my energy is going in the right direction to absorb or produce force, I will be more powerful. So I want no leaks of energy through my subsystems, my kinetic chain, because it'll make me more athletic. But truly being the athletic trainer in me, much safer biomechanically from creating those long-term injuries that are avoidable. And I think it's important to, to just, just as a review, when we're thinking about a muscle, if you have an overactive muscle, guys, it's still, it doesn't mean it's producing too much. You know, it means it's still going to be weak. If you have an underactive muscle, it is still going to be weak. You are the strongest when you're in ideal alignment. And so just because something is overactive doesn't make it super strong. It's actually decreasing the range of motion to provide the greatest amount of force within that complex. And so that's why when we talk about compensations and we really want to realign the body, especially before we start, you know, going into strength and power, you need to have really good understanding that if something is underactive, activate it. But before you do that, make sure you inhibit or calm it down the overactive muscles and then lengthen it. And then immediately strengthen the opposing side to really work on joint realignment and better function within that complex, because it really does start at the ankle and go all the way up. Well said. There you go. Mic drop. Boom. It's not as cool as yours, though. I think I'm, 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 I like that one. That was good, Marty. Awesome. And so, it's recorded, so now I can listen, <laughs> listen back and see if I can reproduce that. <laughs> right. And as we just talked about, you know, and I had Marty kind of go off on the whole dysfunction thing. I mean, if dysfunction's in your lateral subsystem and it starts at the ground, as he just talked about, it's going to increase subtalar joint pronation, like he said, when it's foot flattening, and that's going to increase everything else that he talked about. So that's why I wanted him before we even got to that slide to start getting you guys thinking. So when you see this, you're like, yeah, I understand it now because it makes sense. And so, you know, when we're talking about regional interdependence, guys, the low back is going to follow the rest of the leg. And so if you've got all this unwanted motion, especially in the frontal plane, you know, we're going to have dysfunction throughout the entire body. So everything, remember when we talk about neuromuscular efficiency, that's our ultimate goal. That's having the right muscle fire at the right time and the right plane of motion for ideal movement patterns. And so that's ultimately why all four of these subsystems, they all work together. But if you see dysfunction in an overhead squat, there may be one or two that are more effective based on the prime contributors that are making up most of that subsystem. Right. And the one, Wendy, you've probably heard this story, so I'll keep it brief for you. But the one story that I tell a lot when we're doing our workshops is imagine if you went to the best concert, like the Boston Philharmonics, you got a hundred of the world's greatest musicians and you've got three or four of every type of instrument and they're in their chairs, one through four. And, you know, these are the best of the best of the best, hundred of the best. You take one of them out and you put me in. I know it's hard to believe no musical, like I, I stick to science and maybe martial arts. Right. And, you know, I still have to work on that zero musical ability, but 1% change in that hundred person symphony. 
if you paid for a ticket, by the end, you'll be asking for a refund because as hard as those 99 work to kind of cover up for me, after a few minutes, I'm going to wear them down and they won't be able to hide. And then it only gets worse and it only gets worse. That's how the body is. It starts with one little dysfunction that we, and then all of a sudden the chain event happens. And then eventually it's this long, big chaos that you can't fix it anymore. So don't overlook minor movement dysfunction because it's still there. doesn't mean you can't get great workouts, but make sure you're targeting it. So that way it stays minor and you work towards improving it while you get their fitness better. Cause if you ignore it, imagine me in a concert, not a good outcome. No, trust me y'all not a good outcome. <laughs> I don't like how you agreed so fast. Yeah. Uh, because I know you. So <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Here, let's get past that brutal thought. Um, so those of you guys that have joined us for the last 42 minutes, we, um, we want Marty and I want to, you know, just say that we briefly talked about the four subsystems. And so just as a review, we're, we've talked about the deep longitudinal subsystem, the posterior oblique subsystem, the anterior oblique subsystem. And then lastly, we just talked about the lateral subsystem. So it's important to understand that, again, we've always talked, we work together. I mean, you can independently train muscles to get them to activate accordingly like that that's why especially when you look at our corrective exercise we pinpoint certain muscles for activity however however it all ends up blending together especially when we're doing movement patterns and so all of these do affect one another um and again you want to look at your client's program when you see the compensations the beauty of what nasm's done is they provided you with the solutions table they've told you what if you see what muscles are underactive how do you activate those? If you see what's um, overactive, what should you roll and stretch? And so again, let your assessments lead to your programming because that's going to lead to better movement patterns, which will lead to better performance. So again, Marty, the last bullet point, we say it every time, just use the model, guys. And I think for this one, I could have added one key takeaway that you made abundantly clear is I'm not a musician. Right, right. Well, that would just been a star at the bottom as a reminder. Um, don't ask Marty to be a part of the concert, maybe just be a part of the audience. <laughs> and so there was a question that came in from Maria and he and she asked, do you have a link for the NASM Facebook CPT group? And I don't have a direct link. Um, I don't know if our producer can put it in there for us. However, if you go to the Facebook page and you type in I think it's just NASM um, personal trainer, right? Certified personal trainer, Marty. That's the name of the, the yes. group. And um, hold, oh, I can't make comments myself. I have Yeah, it. I know. I have it. <laughs> yeah. So if you go there, Maria, then you would just um, ask to join and then um, they will check your credentials. So NASM has someone that looks to make sure that you're certified. And then at that point, you'll be let in and you can be a part of the conversation. I tried. So, I know. Maria, thank you. We enjoy you joining us because we do see you often. So thank you for being a, um, you know, a support to us and listening to us um, talk about these different topics. And again, Maria and anyone else that is joining us, I just want to say that if there is a, a topic that you want us to discuss, because we've done it so much, we want to make sure that we um, aren't just talking about what we love. We want to talk about what, what's going to help you guys grow in the industry. Um, please feel free to comment, send us emails. And, um, and we'll look into it. So therefore we can make sure to get it on air and um, hopefully provide some, some help in areas that people may not be as strong in. Awesome. 
Well, I know we're going to give our contact information here. So mm -hmm. Wendy, I'll let you kick it off. Sure. If you guys want to email me with questions, concerns, or topics, please email me at wendy.bats at nasm.org, or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. And then mine's right there for you, the same thing. Feel free to reach out, marty.miller at nasm.org, and Instagram is dr.martymiller72. So Wendy, it's always a pleasure. We seem to always have fun somehow. Thank you all for joining. And I'm going to go pick up an instrument and try to see if I can knock that off the list. So thank you. So thanks yes. so much, everybody. And we'll see you soon.